0: Hey there, welcome to Smart Bible Women. Here we teach women to be unshakable in God's word and to be empowered as daughters of God and followers of Christ Jesus. We also tackle hard texts, difficult topics, and dive into God's word to understand how it applies to our lives, all to the glory of God. Hi, Smart Bible Women and Men. Um, If it is your first time, welcome to Smart Bible Women. I am so happy that you decided to click on this podcast. And if you are returning again, thank you for continuing to listen to my voice, even though I know I'm talking too fast sometimes or it sounds like I haven't drunk water in like 10 weeks. Thank you for bearing with me and my very scratchy voice sometimes. Um I also want to shout out those who have reached out to me regarding these past few episodes. It has been very edifying, very encouraging and motivating for me to continue. I'm not going to lie y'all. When I said that doing these kind of podcasts, you like when you're like not just talking off the dome, they are so hard. <laughs> it's like too Maybe even three hours of prep time. Like, I just sit there and I just like type and I like pull out all the Bibles and I go to Bible Hub and, you know, I have to type up all my notes and stuff like that and like specific points that I want to make. So it is hard. And when you work a full time job and when you are studying to take um, a standardized graduate test and when you are up at the time that I get up, it is hard. But I am so grateful um, for God's grace. And I'm also grateful that y'all are still tuning in. So just want to give a shout out. So let's just jump in. So what is Christ teaching your girl? What is he teaching me? Your girl is me. Um, if you were wondering, I love that pronoun, your girl. Um, but Christ has been teaching me a lot this week. This week has been overwhelming To the point where i just had to surrender and not because i'm like you know i'm gonna make the choice to surrender you know whatever it's really been hard for me at my job um and just coping and thinking about how i can actually be a christian at my job and how i can exemplify the freedom that i have in christ at my job and not fit in with like the culture of you know how the world says you you need to be when something doesn't go your way or you know like just thinking about how i need to submit to christ even in my job so christ has been teaching me submission this my devotions is more, like these past few mornings have been uh they have been convicting to my spirit to my actual soul because i've been a little snotty pants at my job i'm not going to sit here and lie to be honest, I'm going to go off script, but I've been a little snotty pins at my job, just kind of like complaining and not being happy with everything and not realizing that, one, I need to be grateful for my job. <laughs> I need to, I'm a salaried employee, right? I need to be grateful for my job. And two, that... God God has put me in this position for my holiness, for my sanctification, not for my real happiness and my happiness comes from, you know, Christ growing my holiness. And so, when I'm like thinking about, you know, I'm not happy here, I'm not doing this. Really what I'm doing is just saying, God, I'm not I'm not really appreciative. I'm not grateful for where you put me to grow me and to be an example of Christ in this place. So that's where I have been, and like, let me tell you, I've been reading Romans, because I'm going back through the New Testament as I read the Old Testament. I've been reading Romans, and I've also been reading the Gospels. I just started Mark again, and, and I started reading 1 Corinthians 2, and y'all, I've just been convicted. I don't even know what, I don't even remember the, the verses that I read. I just remember it. Just being convicted and just praying those verses over my heart, you know, asking the Lord to really save me from my hardened and heart and my ungrateful heart. Right. Um, and so let me just get back on scripts. Um, but Christ has been teaching me through his word that these past few days is, you know, it's about these past few days. It's about submission in all areas of my life. You know, I talked about how my word is Jesus because, you know, the ideas of trust and submission and intentionality are all wrapped up in my relationship to him. Right. And so submission is a part of my relationship to him as my Lord and submission, not just in my spiritual life, but in all realms of my life. Right. Because my spiritual life is in all realms of my life. I'm supposed to be a Christian at work as well, not just in my bedroom doing my devotion or at church doing my devotion, but I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm still off script. I'm not even like, I'm just going to, wing it um but (laughs) it's really been hard but also at the same time I remember like the last week like the last day of the week of my work week Friday y'all I was so free I was so free there was so much freedom because I was like you know what I'm surrendering like I'm surrendering for my own sake I'm surrendering you know because I'm free I'm free to love. I'm free to be Christ-like. I'm free because my my eternity is secure. I don't need to, you know, protect or defend anything about myself. You know what I mean? Like Christ knows me. He knows me well. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows what I do, um, you know, behind the scenes. I don't need any praise. I don't need anything like Christ graces me to get up in the morning. He graces, He graces me to get to work on time. Like, why am I complaining? Why am I acting unhappy when in actuality deep, like not even that deep, but like at the surface of my heart and like at the front of my mind, I knew I was being disobedient by complaining. You know what I mean? I knew I wasn't really being a representative of Christ by complaining, by bringing up these issues, by being like, well, this isn't fair. And why didn't you do it? And, just knowing how important it is for me not to exemplify that. Because at the end of the day, I want people to know Christ. And people can't know Christ if they don't if they don't see it in me or if they don't see it in the people, you know, that that are around them. Right. I want people to see Christ in me. I want people to know that I love them despite you know, if they persecute me, if they talk bad about me, if they whatever it is, they if they are being malicious toward me, that doesn't have anything to do with me because of my freedom in Christ. And so I remember on Friday, y'all, I'm telling you, I was working so hard. First of all, because I had a lot of things to do because this my weekend is extended um, because I'm taking my sister to basic training tomorrow because she's in the military. So I had a lot of work to, that I needed to get done before because I'm I'm an educator. And so I was like, I need to get this lesson plan out. I need to do all these different things. But the reason why I was able to do that was because I was minding my business and I was submitting to the authorities and not trying to, you know, trying to complain or just all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Not trying to slander, really just being edifying. And that was really my goal. And what the Holy Spirit was convicting me about, like, be edifying. Like, if you have a problem with a coworker, or if you probably have a problem with your boss, pray for them. You never know what they're going through. And, like, why they may be acting that way? It says, bless those who persecute you, you know, who persecute us. Bless those who hurt us. Bless those who slander us. Don't return the slander for the slander because we're being disobedient to God. You know what I mean? Also says Romans 13. It's like, if you rebel against the authority, you're being disobedient to God. And so that was what the Holy Spirit was teaching me. That was what Christ was teaching me. Like, And I'm good. <laughs> I am really, really good. So let us look at the text. So y'all, this week has also been interesting to me because I have been receiving a lot of confirmation about my fears and my concerns about the church and where we are in this day, um, and how much where we are is like how it reflects and mirrors the prophecy that Christ gave us um about how this day would look, how the last days would look in the church and in the world. And so I was just having a conversation with my mom like the other day, maybe two days ago, and I was just telling her how much biblical literacy is so important to our walks with Christ, right? If we do not know his word, others can come and turn our gaze from the right things, the righteous things, because it's easy to feed the flesh when it is not filled with the word, right? Let me say it again. It is easy to feed the flesh. When it is not filled with the word, right? If we don't kill the flesh with the word, it's so easy for people to come in and really please our flesh by saying what sounds good to the carnal mind, right? And so, what I mean by that, like I said earlier, is that we live in a world that matches prophecy. There are people performing as true teachers of Christ and drawing people away from the actual gospel, right? Church services look more like motivational workshops that help build up self. When, in fact, we're called to die to self and pick up our cross and follow Christ, right? When we die, Christ lives in, the, in us. It's not necessarily about building up ourselves in Christ, but dying to ourselves and following Christ. Um, and I cannot help but notice how the word of God is is used in, in a way to motivate and prompt people to live a life that is fulfilling in a carnal way, right? Right. Um, we we pray more about our fi- our finances and finding love lives and, you know, God bless my household and provide us with this, this and this when that's not what the gospel. The gospel sets us free from praying that. Right. The gospel sets us free from praying the carnal prayer. Um, and so I've just been noticing that pastors or even Christian speakers, they speak rather to the flesh than the soul um they speak to our pockets and they speak to our happiness over our holiness nobody really preaches about repentance anymore it's just kind of like you know it's like it i don't it's i can't even explain it but <laughs> they point people away from heaven honestly an eternal life and point people to the best life now actually um my pastor this past sunday he preached on that he's like he was talking about your best life now that was the name of the sermon And I'm not going to lie, y'all. I'm not going to lie. I completely shut down. Um, I was listening, but I could I could sense the carnality in the sermon. It was very carnal um, because what tends to happen is that pastors teach the congregation um, laziness in reading the word by relying on like one verse. Right. They rely on one verse or maybe even two verses to extract for a message and extrapolate that verse to get the point across. So what I mean by extrapolate, they like take that, they extract the verse and apply it to our lives in a way that takes the verse out of its context, if that makes sense. Um, and so the verse, rather than being the point of analysis and exposition, becomes the jumping off point to a large prosperity gospel, God is getting you ready getting ready to bless you, this is your year Ponzi scheme that does not equip people to go out and live a life that is Christ-glorifying. Rather, they live a life that is self-glorifying. So in the sermon, um, not my, my pastor's particular sermon, but perhaps I did kind of tune out sometimes, <laughs> but in the sermon, there's a sense of mysticism or mystery around um, or that is provoked by language that lends itself to sensationalism, if that makes sense. And it's honestly, it's intellectually numbing, right? We ask questions that to provoke uh, emotionalism from the audience when there is an actual biblical answer to it, right? And so, for instance, if you heard you know, someone become very emotional by saying, or hearing a pastor say, like, I don't know why he did it, talking, you know, referring to Jesus on the cross, or, I don't know why you love me, talking about why Jesus loves us, and what I'm, that's what I mean by biblical mysticism, it's like, there are answers, <laughs> there are answers, but instead of looking for the answers, and like using the Bible to find those answers, they actually rely on the perceived uncertainty or mystery behind that and behind that question to fuel an emotionalism, right? It's kind of, it's very self-glorifying. It's like, I don't know why he loves me, but it has something to do with us. Why why God loves us has nothing to do with us personally. It has to do with Christ. He loves us because he loves Christ, right? Why Christ did it? He did it to glorify the Father. He dies to glorify the Father so that he may be glorified. There are answers, but those answers don't actually make us feel better about ourselves. You You see what I'm saying? And so... That's the type of sensationalism and emotionalism I'm, I'm talking about in the church that really leaves people intellectually numb. They don't actually turn on their brains because they're not really reading the Bible. For instance, another thing that happened, uh, I'm kind of off script, I'm sorry, but another thing that happened in church was they're trying to promote uh, Sunday school. And this girl, she got up and she read this little, she read a speech. And this is not coming for the girl at all, but something that she said May, it was very evident that there is a low expectation for christians and so she said you need to come to sunday school because without sunday school how would you know the, what the bible says and i looked and i said by reading it like i didn't say that out loud but in my mind i was like by reading it you would know the bible by reading it like you don't have to go to sunday school once a sunday once a week to know the bible the bible is very you know accessible You know what I mean? You can't. It's not that you can. You have to keep the Bible closed Monday through Saturday, and then Sunday—that's when—that's when when you can open the Bible up. It's not a sacred text like that, where you can't even touch it or even open it Monday through Saturday. And so, what it does is it just creates this, like I said, this intellectually numbing or numbness when it comes to knowing the Bible, when it comes to biblical literacy. Um, and so I was like scrolling through my Instagram. I'm gonna talk a lot. I'm just gonna, you know, let y'all know this. I'm gonna talk a lot before I actually get into um, scripture because I have to get give y'all some context, like about, about where I'm coming from, right? But I was scrolling, scrolling through Instagram. Also, a nice little plug. <laughs> Follow people distinguished on Instagram. P e o p l e distinguished. D i s t i n g u i S-H-E-D, people distinguish on Instagram for more content. And I saw a post with a quote from Paul Washer, a really great speaker and evangelical pastor who I love him so much. And he said, to paraphrase, that Sunday is the most idolatrous day ever because people worship a concocted idea of God, a God designed and imagined by themselves. And they worship that idea of God. They worship a God is not that is not in control of events of the world. But once he gets a signal of your disastrous affairs, this God will swoop in and save the day. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Um, that is not God, and that's surely not the, the God of the Bible, right? But we don't know you wouldn't know that if you didn't read the Bible. I mean, if you yeah, you wouldn't know that if you didn't read the Bible, right? And so why is this important for me and for you and for the church, right? Because we are in a time, like I said before, as prophecy tells us that there are deceivers per- perverting the word of God to, to please the flesh. I was don't judge me for this, but I was scrolling through Instagram. Um, I think the same day, and I saw this religious act, like this religious organization, some kind of ministry, um, or Christian ministry. Um, and this woman and and her husband. They were talking about their ministry. And if you want, if you have an interest in knowing what it is, it's called, I think it's called M633, Matthew 633, which is, um, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, that verse. And basically, (laughs) not even basically, I'm actually quoting her verbatim. She said that the will of God is for us to be prosperous or that the will of God is, is prosperity, something like that. And she was like, it's the will of God for us to be millionaires, for us to be financially great. Yo, <laughs> I shut that down so quick because to me, well, one is just biblically wrong, right? The the will of God is holiness for us to look like his son. That's what the will of God is. The will of God is for us to look like his son. And so the world you know false teachers pervert god's word and say one thing when it really is not true it's not true that the will of god is that we be prosperous there are a lot of christians who live in poverty and still love god right you have the example of job job was a you know he was a well to do man and god literally stripped him of everything and he still rejoiced in god right because that's not the will of god at all and so I just want to say that um so that's what, so when I talk about the Christian life the Christian life is not a life of prosperity but a life of endurance it's not a, it's not a life of wealth health and prosperity god destroys people who are wealthy and take advantage of the poor and are, see, are trying to get rich and because the thing is as um as I think I forgot, I think it's in Matthew, but Jesus says, yeah, it is in Matthew, but Jesus said it is easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. You know, that's how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. You know why? Because his his um his his heart is divided. His heart can never be truly devoted to God because it's devoted to making more money, right? And so that's what I mean. Like people are destroyed. You can tell you can see it in psalm seventy three you can also see it in the the entire book of Habakkuk, right just to name a few, but it's very clear that riches riches not in righteousness <laughs> but riches in wealth and money and all that kind of stuff that is not pleasing to God, right and so the thing is. When we only look at the few popular verses in the Bible, we cheat ourselves from understanding the truth and knowing the true God. We constantly hear Jeremiah 29, 11, for another plans for you. We hear Matthew six thirty three, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We talk about Mark 11, 24. You can pray for anything. And if you believe you received it, it will be yours. We think about Psalm 23. We think about Psalm 37, Um. for delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm reading this really fast because we are very familiar with these, right? These are very popular verses, y'all, but we have to put these into context. That's one part of biblical literacy, being able to put it in, in relationship to other verses. We can't extract a verse and apply it. We have to actually see how it fits in Because if we put in all of these verses, if we put these verses into context, you actually see that it doesn't necessarily mean what we think it means, right? Um, And so we have to read around these verses, right? We have to put them in conversation with other verses. Alone, of course, it is motivating, right? Who doesn't think that Jeremiah 29, 11 is a motivating, is inspiring verse, right? But we need to put that into context, of the story that God is writing, right? And so, I don't know. I just, I think that we, we normally see the Bible as like a guidebook, but it's really not. It's not a guidebook for us to be great in the world. Rather, the Bible is an autobiography of God and how he took the initiative to save his chosen people. It is the history of redemption from the beginning to the end. It is about Jesus. It is not about us. It is not about Anything at all having to do with us—it is all about Jesus, right? You can see it from Genesis chapter one, verse one, to the end of the book of Revelation. It's all about Jesus, and so it's important to, for us to understand that, right? And there, there's all kinds of context that gives us, gives us that idea that it is, yeah, it's all about Jesus. You know, Jesus tells us, um, "Deny yourselves and come follow me." You know, He tells the rich man, "Sell your possessions." Give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me, right? So it's not about wealth, health, and prosperity. It's about endurance. It is about endurance. Um, That is the mark of the true Christian, the one who endures to the end, which is um, Matthew 24, verse 9. That's what Matthew 24, verse 9 tells us. The one that endures to the end will be saved, right? So being Bible-saturated helps us to endure to the end. Because in it lies God's promises for those who res- will receive the crown of life, not in the decay of the world. In the, the decay of the world's money, the greed, the fashion, the things that we look to to satisfy a very carnal and fleshly desire. Right. Y'all, I know that was a lot. I feel like I need some water. <laughs> but I need to give that context because assurance, honestly, is at stake for a lot of Christians. Um, there are some Christians who walk away from God only to prove that they probably, probably, and it's going to sound really controversial, but probably they probably walk away, not probably, but they walk away to perhaps prove that they were never Christians to begin with. And and I want to explain more about what I mean by that. So what does it mean to endure? What must we endure? Do we endure joy or a vacation Um, Or do we endure pain? Do we endure suffering? Do we endure happiness? Like, what do we endure as Christians? So the type of endurance that Jesus tells us marks the true Christian, that's the endurance that is produced by suffering and testing, right? Look, I'm not, to be honest with y'all, I am going to throw a lot of scripture your way because normally, you know, I look at one text like last week. I looked at primarily at Proverbs 31, but this is so important. So you understand that this is not an isolated thing that I'm just pulling out of one text. This is the theme of the Christian faith. You know what I mean? This is the theme throughout all the gospels and the epistles and revelation. Right. And so. This is not one isolated passage and I'm taking and I'm just like trying to prove a point. This is all throughout the New Testament. It's so important, right? And so just to reiterate, pain and suffering is a part of the Christian faith, not wealth and health and prosperity. Um, I'm sure that you've heard our Lord Jesus was a man of many sorrows, honestly, and joys equally. He wept He he was not the really calm man that we believe him to be very quiet. You know, he was a man of many sorrows, of many emotions, for he was perfect. He was perfect. And he suffered. He suffered and he saw the sins and the suffering of the world. And that caused him great sorrow. But it also caused him great joy to be, to, to suffer because he knew he was suffering for the glory of God. And so what I'm trying to do, my point in this episode is to encourage us in our suffering, those like myself who at one point and who probably are going through some serious stuff and you are trying to hold on to your faith like on some serious stuff, you are just trying to hold on to your faith and you are questioning if you are even a child of God. You're like, God, why is this even happening? Am I even yours? Does this happen to children of God? And I want to answer that question. I want to answer that question, not from my own perspective, but from God's perspective. I want to answer that biblically because without this understanding, people walk away, right? Now, that's not apart from God's sovereignty, but people walk away because they just don't get it. They've been sold a lie that when you come to Jesus, everything gonna be all right. You know, we we listen to that one verse. You know, you what we what is it? What's the verse? It says, you know, cast your cares on me. Um, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Like you know, we hear that we're like, oh, that sounds nice. Okay, I'm about to cast my burden. Like you know what I mean? Um, cast my cares, cause He cares for me. Um, And that is very true. And it's not in contradiction to the pain and the sorrow that we endure. The persecution that we endure for being Christians is not in contradiction to that. And so I just want to be very clear and be very intentional. If you do not get where I'm going, I just want to lay it out. This is where I'm going. I want to show you that endurance through pain and suffering is a part of the Christian walk. Right. And so as Christians, what are we called to or to what are we called? And so let's look at the first at first Peter, um, chapter four, verses one through three. And let's also look at chapter four, verses 12 through 14, the same book. So chapter um, chapter four, one through three. So since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer, too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. This is also verses 12 through 14, dear friends, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Right. And so as we can see from these two excerpts, these are warning to the followers of Christ. When the church was being established, they were being seriously persecuted. People say that, you know, how, like, how people wonder how Christian Christianity spread. Right. Here's the actual truth. Christianity did not Christianity did not spread by popularity it spread by persecution. Let me say it again. <laughs> Christianity did not spread by popularity. It spread by persecution. And we have full-on proof, right, from both like scholarly, biblical um literature and also very secular literature. Popularity spread because of persecution. People were literally being run out of their homes and their towns because they were Christians. They were being killed because they were Christians, right? That's what the Council of Nicaea is all about. Not about whether or not God, I mean, Jesus is God. It was, should Christians be able to practice their faith publicly without persecution? That's what that's about, right? Just a quick little historical fact, historical correction. A lot of us seem to be confused about that. But that's what the Council of Nicaea was really about because Christians were persecuted. And we have Apostle Paul who was one of the persecutors. Um, and you, we know that he was a terrorist. Um saved by faith through grace. I think I'm saying that wrong, but <laughs> just like a, you know, I'm kind of interjecting myself, but I just want those things to be known, right? And so huh, just to get back, so as we can see from these two excerpts, there these are warnings to the followers of Christ, right? Um, we are expected to suffer because suffering makes us more like Christ. This is the Christian journey. Right, if facing death, which is not an extreme idea, right, makes us more like Christ, so be it. If poverty makes us more like Christ, if cancer makes us more like Christ, if the death of a loved one, if a horrible work environment makes us more like Christ, then it is for our good. For God worketh things for our good, not for our worldly happiness, right? And so, what does this suffering look like? What does it mean for us? So now we're going to actually get into the main primary text that I really want us to look at, um, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 12. So I'm going to first read it in full, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to interject um, and like do a, a breakdown of the text, right? There are a few points that I want you to think about as I read it for the first time. Um, so one, Jesus' suffering is for us not to grow weary and give up. We have a high priest, Jesus, that can relate to us in all ways. He has been tempted and not sinned. He has been slandered and not sinned. He has been persecuted, killed, you know what I mean, and not sinned, blasphemed against and not sinned, right? So he knows what we go through. He knows it. He's aware of it. Um... And so the second point is God's discipline is proof of his love and his fatherhood toward us, right? And so we're going to see language in that. That seems kind of like, wait, are you sure God loves us? (laughs) But he does, right? And third, we are graced to endure to the end. So we must strengthen our tired hands and our weak knees, knees, right? So God is the reason that you are enduring. If you are enduring, if you are facing so much tragedy and disaster in your life and you are still holding on to your faith and you are still believing and you may not understand why, you may cry every night, but you have not left God. You have not abandoned God. You have not said, you know what, God, I ain't signing up for this. You can have this it's because literally God is the one keeping you. You are his chosen child, right? First Peter chapter one, verse five tells us that God protects us through our faith by his power. First Peter chapter one, verse seven tells us that these trials will show that your faith is genuine, right? And so Just think about all of these verses that I'm throwing at you that some some people may not even know, have would have not known existed, right? If I didn't say anything, but these exist for our own sanctification, for our own understanding, for us to actually know, right? And so I'm going to read Hebrews, which is actually one of my favorite chapters. It is really one of my favorite chapters. So here we go. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance or endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and give up. In your sin, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Y'all, so what I did, and I'm going to be honest, I kind of intermingled um, the NIV version with the NLT version because there are certain words that I want us to focus on um, that I think aid us in our understanding of um, of the Bible of this particular um, this particular text. So I hope it actually changes, but it may not. So I'm gonna read it again and I wanna break it down. Because, y'all, I love, when I say I love Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, it is one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite, along with John 17, it is one of my favorite ever um <laughs> um text in the Bible. So I'm, I'm actually going to read it from the NLT version. The first version was NIV, but I know the NLT version, so I was kind of like switching words around as I was reading it. So therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. There is a lot of sin that trips us up from the race that we are made to run. This race is not given to those who hold on to weights such as sin. The only real weight that we have, right, is sin. We have to be able to strip ourselves of our worldliness in order to actually run this race that God sets before us. And we'll see that. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So God has set the race before us. God has set it before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Why do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the beginning and end of our faith. We believe in a Jesus that we will see in eternity. He came and died and paid the price for us to have eternal life, which is to know the Father. Right. Christianity begins with Jesus. It begins with Jesus, not in the New Testament, like in that way, but it begins with Jesus. This was already thought out. Before the beginning of the world, but I'm getting ahead of myself, right? Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross with joy, disregarding its shame because he did it to glorify the Father. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Y'all, he is seated in the place of honor and he prays for us and he is our high priest and he intercedes for us. He prays for us now. Now he prays for us. He's praying for me as I'm talking to y'all, right? And he's seated at the right hand of the father. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is so important, right? This, this goes back right to my first point. My first point is that Jesus' suffering is an example for us. And it's a, it's a it's a model for us to not grow weary and give up right? The, the author of Hebrews tells us to think about the hostility that Jesus endured so that we won't give up, so that we won't grow weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? Y'all think, look at these encouraging words. These encouraging words are it it don't really sound right, but I want us to understand that these are supposed to be words of encouragement from God to us as his children. It may not sound like it, but they're supposed to be encouraging because there are there is a promise to us that this is not something out of the ordinary. This is not something strange happening to us. This is a reassurance that yes, you are my child. If you are enduring, suffering and pain is because you are my child and I am making you new. I am sanctifying you. Right. And so it says, my child don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Take it seriously and don't give up when he corrects you. Right. Don't walk away and abandon God. Don't, you know, think that don't, don't think that you're not a child of God. Right. When he corrects us for the dis for the Lord disciplines, those he loves. And he punishes. Y'all, you know, there's like the, in the King James Version, you know what it says instead of punishes? It says he scourges. That's a way like harsher word. He scourges. Y'all, you know, it's like burning, <laughs> it's like putting us through the fire. Each one he accepts as his child. He does not, he also lavishes us with unfailing love, too, right? But he does not buy us a car. He does not buy a house for each one. He accepts as his child. No, he scourges us, right? And so to continue, um, verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own child. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father, if God doesn't, doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. If you are living in an earthly abundance and you just got it it all taken care of and you just you have never experienced any kind of like hardship, like no kind of like no kind of painful suffering, I'm gonna just take a cue, and I'm gonna you know take it, take the lick. If somebody has something to say, I'm gonna say I'm concerned. I'm concerned because pretty much all of God's I know I'm gonna give my testimony later on in this episode, but I have gone through some fiery. Some fiery trials that I never thought I would ever experience in my life, right? And I questioned whether or not I was God's child, right? Since we were said that our earthly fathers who discipline us shouldn't we submit, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? So, what happens when you go through or when you submit and you endure the discipline? And the pain that our father not necessarily inflicts on us, but, you know, uh, I want to say, yeah, the, the discipline of our father, what happens? You are made more into the likeness of Christ and we live forever. We receive the crown of salvation. We, we, we receive the crown of life, right? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Why? does God discipline us? So that we might share in his holiness, so that we look different from the world. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. It is painful. I'm i going to say it again. It's painful to experience God's discipline, especially when you're just like, wait, what did I do? (laughs) You became God's child. He adopted you. Now he has to make you into into his son. Now he is forming you into the likeness of his son. Not yeah, he's he that's what I'm going to say that. He's forming us into the likeness of our son. But afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands. I know that you're tired. God knows that you are tired. And strengthen your weak knees. Strengthen yourself by God's power that is working in you, that is working in us. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. You know, it's also when God puts us through suffering, as Paul tells us, he puts us in through suffering and he cares for us and he is compassionate for us. And for that same reason, we also must mark out a path that does not lead people astray when they are suffering. Right. We must also be compassionate and, and care for those who are also suffering right and so that was my little breakdown of hebrews y'all it's 45 minutes in and i'm still not done but i really think this is so important and that's why i was willing to like spend the time and be like you know what i'm gonna just give it a little hour um but i just want you to know that it's a 45 minute uh podcast as of right now (sighs) but okay so i knew that was a lot of bible saturation for you but i cannot i ain't shamed i ain't i am not shamed i ain't shamed at all I want you to know these things so that you can also be encouraged to read the word for yourself and not be disillusioned by trials that are brought on by really just being a follower of Christ, right? And with that, let's take a break and get into Christian praxis. So let's get into it. Um, It sounded weird. Was that kind of weird? It felt kind of weird. Okay, so let's get into it. y'all i just did this whole christian practice and it did not even record or recorded and then it logged out <laughs> so i do the whole christian practice again ah okay but y'all let me thank god i have a, a script that i kind of like work off of but this christian practice is pretty simple wait okay welcome to christian Praxis. <laughs> <laughs> this Christian practice is very simple it's pretty simple so y'all I've been doing my morning devotional for about thirty minutes to an hour for about a while now maybe a year um and now it's about 45 minutes to an hour it depends on how long it takes me to make my tea and set up and do my whatnots you know create my vibe right so this christian practice is actually brought to you by a conversation that i had with a friend of mine who was saying that they wanted to actually get more into the word but felt that there you know was no time for them to do so and so they asked me what my routine looked like and i was just like here's my routine this is what i do right This is a a disclaimer, y'all. I am a morning person. I am not at all a night person. I'm not a night person at all, right? Let me get a good eight hours and I can get up. Your girl is good, right? My routine begins at 4 a.m. in the morning. This is not the earliest time that I've gotten up, nor do I need any judgment. 4 a.m. is what works for me. I'm pretty happy to do it. I love getting up at 4 a.m., it is honestly a blessing. I will continue to get up at 4 a.m. as long as God graces me to do so, right? But I've gotten up at 3 a.m. for a few months. I've gotten up even at 2.30 2 a.m. for a few months, right? It just kind of works for my, I need to study. I need to do my devotion. I have to exercise all before I go to work. I'm also an educator, so just keep that in mind. I have to be to work, you know, 8.30 um, and so stuff like that. So um, I... Start my devotions at four. My alarm goes, goes off at four. I may stay in bed like an extra three to five minutes. And then I have to, you know, make my green tea, set up my vibe in the kitchen with my little lamp and stuff like that. And I, you know, just get to work. Um, so here's a tip. Here is the tip. If you cannot find time in your day, you have to make time. If you cannot find the time, you have to make the time. Maybe it looks like you're training yourself 30 minutes to get up 30 minutes early or stay up 30 minutes later or an hour later in order to get in the word and pray. Maybe you're using your lunch break to to be in the word at work or school. You're like hiding out in the car or something like that. Um, But it's important that if reading God's word is a priority to you, that you make the time, that you set the schedule. So set the time, set the place because the devil is busy. And what I mean by that is that he can easily distract us with bad things like, you know, being on social media and also good things such as washing the dishes. You know what I mean? Um, Looking at the news, um, packing lunches, you know, talking to our family about some, some emergency, whatever. I don't know. A lot of things he can definitely distract us with right? And so be careful, right? I set my space up in the kitchen at 410. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what my setup looks like. I don't have to question like, oh, should I be in here, right? So for instance, if you're going to set your devotion for 6 a.m. and that's the time that your husband or your kids or your parents or your roommate is buzzing around, maybe being in the most populated spaces such as like the kitchen or the living room, maybe that's not the best place for you to be, right? Maybe you're in, you know, the cut somewhere, you like in your room or outside or maybe even on the bus if the bus is quiet or the subway or you take the metro or your uber or maybe you're in your car for the first 30 minutes you get to work early you just sit in your car right um because honestly if you're in an easily populated space satan Satan can convince you not to move to another space but to just stop like oh you know it's so busy i might as well just do it tomorrow do it later and it may not ever happen right because life happens so because life happens, we have to make time to do it, to be in God's word, right? So pick a time, pick a place, ask God to grace for grace to focus on him and um want to know him more, right? So enter your devotion with prayer and saturate it with more prayer. It's so important, right? Just pray over the text, pray over yourself. You know, if you feel convicted, if you need to repent, pray like let your devotion to God be full of repentance and prayer and worship, right? Um, pray that God works all these texts into your heart, right? So in Jesus' name, I pray that. Amen. And so that is our quick Christian praxis. I hope that was helpful. And let's get back to looking at the text. See you on the other side. And we are back. We are back at... We're... Oh, I don't... You it know, it is so late. I never do these podcasts as late, <laughs> but I had to get my life together today. Oh uh, <laughs> But we're back to looking at the text. Y'all, can I do um, our text application with a testimony? I'm going to do it anyways. I know I asked, but y'all can't really like, I can't hear your response. So I'm just going to give a quick testimony about how... To show you just how passionate I am that you know this God, not the God of the world that promises riches, but the God that wants to sanctify us. And so He puts and wants us to be in the likeness of His Son. So He puts us through hard things. Um, and those hard things are painful things. So let's just jump into my testimony. <sighs> so July 8th is my birthday. My birthday was last year, it's every year. Um and last year I spent my birthday at the Essence Fest, which is in New Orleans because I'm from New Orleans. If you can hear an accent and you're wondering where I'm from, I'm from New Orleans. Um, and so I spent my time. It was a good five hours, y'all. It was a good five hours at the gospel tent, just worshiping, y'all. I was so overcome with like just just worship. Just I just wanted to worship the Lord. I just, I, oh y'all, like the best gospel artists there, and I just was so. Overwhelmed and overtaken. I was crying. I was weak. My mom had to hold me up most of the time. <laughs> so I couldn't even like, stand up straight. <laughs> um, I was just so for myself. And I remember the next morning, I was just elated. I was like, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. And I was so happy. I was singing Joy by House Fires. But I was singing the, uh, the, the Vashawn Mitchell version, like the Vashawn Mitchell cover of Joy. Like, you give me joy down deep. I was singing that like the whole, I was packing my lunch. I was just getting my life together to joy. I was like, yes, joy. That was like the first time I heard the song, but I know it's an old song. So like, you know, forgive me. Um, And little did I know that my life would change forever, right? So July 8th, day of worship, loving God. July 9th, entering into darkness. And I don't want to go into details, but y'all, I can't even explain, you know, what happened. Um, An old circumstance that I have been just dealing with quietly in my household would just become even worse, right? And it was just painful. It just became worse and worse and worse and worse. Enemies um, just existing in my environment i guess um and i was just consumed with such darkness because i did not understand why i was going through what i was going through i was like i didn't ask for any of this to happen um and i was just depressed and i was just angry all the time i was reading my bible but i was just like i remember i would just it got to the point where my prayers didn't even look like normal prayers like i would i wouldn't even be talking i would just be sitting there like on my knees i wasn't i was kneeling and I would just be trembling, like shaking uncontrollably, uncontrollably, I can't even talk uncontrollably because I couldn't even find the words to explain how deeply I was hurting and how much pain I was in because of the, the circumstances I was going through. It got to the point where I was like crying out to God. I was like, do you even love me? Like, why are you making me go through this? Like, why is this happening? why is this happening? You know what I mean? Um, I started questioning, honestly, whether or not I was even a child of God. I was like, I don't even think, I guess, I guess I brought this on to myself. I guess this is punishment because of something. I don't know what it is, but I guess I'm just, you know, I guess this is punishment. Uh, And I really just started like losing faith, right? Like, and just to, to be clear, this was four months Of just hiding behind this fake smile at work, right? And trying to be this cheerful person and joyful person at work, but coming back home to deal with a monster. To deal with some serious, just, I want to call it demonic, because I'm going to just call it what it is. It was demonic, satanic activity going on in my house, decisions and choices were made that affected people in some serious ways. It affected me mostly because I didn't even ask for any of it. (laughs) Um, And I was just like, I thought that people, I thought there were people who had my back that didn't have my, that wound up just like not having my back in that season. Um, I felt alone. I felt just like desperate. Like it, it was a sense of desperation, right? I just didn't know who to turn to like i didn't know what family members could actually understand or what was going on in that household um i was trying to protect people while also myself not protect being not being protected um and so huh, it, it was 4 months it was 4 months of that and it got worse it got worse so july 9th to october 9th like it, it ooh y'all! It, I can't even explain how worse it got. So there was actually a domestic. I was up at four o'clock. I was it was four thirty nine, and I was up taking a practice test. Um, I had finished the first section of the practice test, and I, and that's how I remember the time because I remember that was when the time when I when I finished the practice test. And I heard like some sounds. Some it sounded like gunshots, and I was like, I mean, it can't be anything else because it's four thirty in the morning. And I was trying to figure out where it was coming from. And I was like, what is that? Like, you know, and I went into my mom's room. And like also, my mom and I were not talking. We were had no, we were, we just we like we fell off. Um, we were living together, but we just did not talk to each other. Um, and I went to her room and I said, Did you hear that? And, you know, she was like, mm, I thought you were killing a roach. And I was like, No, I wasn't. And so I left out that morning, and I remember, I, you know, I was at work, and I was trying to minister to myself because so many different things was going on. And I just was like, let me minister Romans eight thirty five to myself, um, eight thirty five to like verse forty. And I remember my mom called me, maybe close to the time that I was getting off, maybe like two hours before I was getting off, and she was crying and trembling. I could hear it in her voice, and she said, "My car got shot at." And so, what the gunshots that I heard basically were the gunshots at her car. And so, what had happened? There was a, de- a domestic uh, abuse situation two blocks down from where we live. And I guess the person who was trying to get away. Um, who, the person who was trying to get away. Got gunshots, or I had. I guess they were being shot at. And the direction that they were driving in is the direction of our house. And they shot at my mom's car. Not like accidentally, I guess. Um, And they also shot at our house, which is right. In, like they, the place that they shot is actually very close to my room. Um, It's like very close, right? Um, And so we were scared. We were scared. We live on my grandmother. We stayed by my grandmother for a good four days. Um, And I remember laying in my grandmother's guest bedroom, literally shaking and trying to minister Romans 8, verse 38. To myself, and you know romans eight thirty five eight thirty five is can anything ever separate us from and from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have calam, if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus, who love us? that's all I knew honestly in that moment but I'm so happy I knew it I knew it I knew that verse and that's what I clung to I like I, y'all I clung to that verse for dear life because it got so bad to the point where I was I was like Lord I'm actually willing to die before I lose faith in you I rather you deliver me I'd rather be delivered up to you than actually lose faith in you and live like this world that's how bad it got because I was so distraught and distressed by what was going on around me i really i got to that point right so that's my little personal testimony um things got better my relationship with my mom got stronger it got better um i started learning that okay god is the only consistent like never changing ever consistent ever constant being that will ever Ever exist in all eternity. My mom is not that person. I can't cling to my mom because my mom is also imperfect. I learned that at age 23. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I learned, I still think about, okay, what was Christ teaching me in that moment? And I remember I was having a conversation with my mom not too long ago about this situation. And I was like, I still don't really understand what Christ was teaching me. But then I realized I was thinking, What I learned from that is that the whole time, no matter how many, y'all, there were so many times when I really was just planning on walking away. I stopped praying for those months, not all those months, but like I think a good month and a half after the shooting. I stopped praying. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped studying. I was just, I went through it. I went through it, but I recognized that, like Christ, was still keeping me by the power of His word, right? And so my point is, is that the one who walks away from the faith because of suffering is not truly a Christian and has not been called yet, perhaps, right? Why? Because Christ Himself says so. Um, Matthew. 20, 24 verses 9 through 14 says this. Think, think about this. This is what Christ says. Then you will be arrested. He's talking to his disciples. Persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray me and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And if you go through it with faith, it's because Christ is keeping you. Right, if you don't walk away, is because you are God's chosen one. Jesus also gives us an example in the parable of the farmer scattering seeds about what happens right when the word is spread or scattered. There are four scenarios, there are four things that happen. One of them, those who hear the word, who hear about the gospel, there will be those who hear about the gospel, but Satan will snatch the seeds before they are even sown. Right, then there are some who will hear the gospel, but because they aren't even rooted in the word, they will fall away because of persecution and troubles. They will become offended because of persecution and troubles for Christ's name. There are others um, who hear the word, but the lure of the world overcomes them. Like right, with its with its wealth and its prosperity, and the, and they neglect the word, they fall away. And then the the last group is those who hear the word are planted in fertile and good soil and they bear fruit from the word. They bear spiritual fruit from the word, right? And so y'all, I pray that we are the seeds that are planted on fertile ground. When we hear the word, I pray that we continue to search God's word, that we pray God's word and that we produce the fruits of the spirit that demonstrate complete obedience to Christ. Someone needs to hear this. And I pray that if you listen to this and you know somebody who needs to hear this, who is going through, or if you are going through, I pray that God works a miracle in your heart to see that hit hey, that this discipline, that this suffering is for your good. It's for our good. It's for our holiness. It's for our sanctification. Right? Hold on to him because he's holding on to you. You are not the one holding on to Christ. It may look like it. But he is with you, and he will never forsake you. He will never forsake us. He understands, right? And so a life devoted to Christ is not a life about self, but a life of death. If we hold tight to ourselves, then we lose it. But if we lose our lives here on earth, we will gain eternal life with Jesus. We will see him. So let us run the race that God has set before us and let us endure to the end to receive the crown of life. And until next time, y'all, be blessed.